today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. So what happened at Queen's Park yesterday? What was this dust-up in the legislature? Uh, well, according to uh, what we're hearing from the two principals here, Ontario PC MPP uh, Donna Skelly uh, alleges that NDP leader Andrew Horvath uh, walked across the floor in the legislature and pushed her. Now, Ms. Horvath has denied the allegations. Uh, well, here's what Councillor er, Donna Skelly had to say. At the conclusion of debate during the division bells yesterday, the member from Hamilton Centre crossed the chamber and initiated unwanted and intentional physical contact with me. Well, uh, that was the accusation, and here's how Andrea Horvath uh, responded. So as a colleague, I was going over to say to her, as someone who's known her for 20 years, like, Donna, what's, what's that all about? And she... You know, how hard did you? How are they behaving? How are they? Again, again, again. Yes, I am absolutely saying that this is not true. This is not what happened. I simply tapped the woman on the shoulder, and in fact, when she, she when she reacted, again, it was just I was shocked. How I hard said, did you tap her? You know, this is silliness. The bottom line is this: this government is acting in a way that is hyperpartisan, completely chaotic, and diverting from what is important here in this province. Thanks to uh, CBC for the audio on that. Uh, so there are the two sides on this. Uh, obviously, I don't know what the speaker is going to have to do about this, but it does bring into question, of course, the decorum about what goes on at uh, Queen's Park. And we've seen some examples like this in Parliament, too. Joining us to uh, analyze this is uh, Peter Grave, professor of political science from McMaster University. Uh, thanks for the join- uh, joining us, Peter. Good to have you on again. My pleasure. Now, I know you usually talk about political science. We don't usually get into the fine art of, of, of boxing, but let's uh, try to blend the two if we can conflate these two things. What's your read on what happened yesterday? Well, I mean, at the moment it's kind of a, a he says, she says, but uh, I mean, presumably there was some sort of, uh, you know, physical um, push or tap. Uh, it, in a way, it doesn't really matter. I mean, a few years ago we had uh, Ruth Ellen Brosseau uh, complaining about the Prime Minister elbowing her and mm-hmm. uh, uh, a lot of people, I think, wrongly uh, got on this whole thing about her being a drama queen. <laughs> but the thing is that you don't lay hands on other people in the legislature. And so in this instance, I mean, it would seem that Andrew Horvath uh, uh, broke the rules of the legislature. Uh, you know, the fact that the speaker didn't see it and the clerks didn't see it and there's not video evidence means that probably the speaker can't make a finding in this case against Andrea Horvath. But, you know, it remains that uh, it seems like she did uh, contravene uh, the rules of the House. It's not unusual for things, Peter, to get testy in the legislatures at Queen's Park or in Parliament Hill, but are, are they crossing the line here, literally? Well, I mean, I think we have a new legislature. There's a lot of new members who were recently elected. Uh, a government that is running in a pretty partisan uh, fashion with the idea that having, you know, one, uh, well, I guess 40% of the vote, but a majority of the seats, that they can do whatever they want for the next four years. And, of course, the whole point of our parliamentary system is that we have an opposition that uh, is able to shed light on what the government is doing and slow them down. And so I think, uh, you know, the two parties are in a very kind of testy moment, and the new members still have to learn what the rules of decorum are in the place. So, I mean, I think in this instance there was some argument that uh, some conservative members were trying to uh, put paper in front of the cameras <laughs> during a speech, which, uh, you know, again, I mean, it looks bad, I think, on all parties when you see this kind of behavior. I mean, there's certainly ways in which uh, we expect opposition parties, whether it's the conservatives in Ottawa or the NDP in Queen's Park, to use all the tactics they can to slow down the passage of bills and draw attention to things that they think are uh, are problems. But 
there's also, I think, an early stage in the legislature where the newcomers, particularly those who uh, you know were, are new on the government benches, get swept in by a uh, bit of a landslide. Uh, they haven't been given much in the way of responsibility in cabinet. Uh, can easily, you know, begin finding you know interest in just you know playing very kind of partisan games. I think after a couple of years, they look at themselves in the mirror. Or they look at how other people make things work. Um, because you do have to work across the aisle to actually make things happen uh, and things calm down a little. It's it's amazing. I mean, you know, we all took civics classes at some point in our education, and uh, many of us, and I can remember when we actually went up to Ottawa and actually sat in on an afternoon session just to get an idea as to how things are going. And, of course, you're very impressed me the first time you go in there as a high school student and see what's going on. But now that you watch it, it's televised now, uh, it's it's amazing to see the the lengths that they would go to try to be well partisan. In other words, I mean, like you say, c- trying to cover up the TV cameras or uh, even the the idea of how you know howling who are howling as somebody's trying to speak. Uh, it, it's really it's it's it, you have to wonder about decorum. It's it's not the sort of thing that makes you proud of the way that the, the government actually works. Yeah, I mean that's what I always hear from high school uh, teachers when they talk about taking their classes to question period and how they regret it because <laughs> parliamentarians were. You know, I mean, the, the, the students are shocked at the at the kind of behavior that they see. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like adults would act that way normally. Um, so, I mean, I think you do have the, have the issue that, on the one hand, the coverage of politics increasingly focuses around question period, and so everything is placed on trying to get the zinger in or the line that will be on the, the evening news. And then, I mean, the rest of the day, uh, the sort of the process of debates has become so pro forma. No one shows up to hear... Uh, you know, the great orators of the past. Uh, I mean, people, they, they just need enough people in the House to make sure that they have quorum, or if there's a surprise vote, they have enough people to win it for their side. But, uh, yeah, it's not really a place uh, of great debate uh, and where we are seeing the important issues of the day discussed in that manner. And so, yeah, there's not a lot. It, it's hard, I mean, and this is a crisis, I think, for legislatures in many countries, is to find their relevance in an era when so much of the decision-making is in the executive, in cabinet, around the prime minister. Uh, what is the role of the legislature in that context? Would it have been a factor that, that to use a big old sports analogy, these two teams don't like each other? I mean, you know, the PCs and the NDP are on polar opposites when it comes to political philosophy, really. Yeah, uh, that's certainly the case. Uh, I mean, and sometimes, you know, the two those two parties were united in their hatred of the liberals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, I mean, I think we have seen in a number of provincial legislatures, I think, uh, you know, B.C. and Saskatchewan in particular, you have a really strong uh, left-right polarization, uh, and it does lead to uh, moments where yeah, the rules of the legislature uh, are stretched in a way that's not probably that healthy. Um, but I, I think in this case, I mean, you have a, we're still close to that election. Uh, you have a government in place that is, you know, thought it should have won the last three elections. It's been waiting a long time. It's kind of impatient to get things moving. There's a lot of people who are new there uh, who don't really understand the rules of the place yet and the culture of, of what you need to do if you're really going to be an effective parliamentarian. And, and so I think those are things that are that are creating extra heat. Uh, I mean, at a certain point, I think uh, both parties realize that if they want to get things done, uh, they have to bring the, the temperature level down uh, to be able to be more effective in engaging each other. Let's let's talk about the role of the speaker here, who's really supposed to be the referee, the one that kind of keeps everything in order here. 
Uh, invariably, it's usually if it's a majority government, it's a member of that government, and there's always that question of how partisan is it. And I, I don't want to you know put that cloak on everybody, but I mean there's always a concern about how the rulings are in a situation like this. How how would Ted Arnott, who is the current speaker in the legislature now, handle a situation like this? As you say, it there's not a whole lot of, of data here. There's not a whole lot of evidence about anything. Yeah, well, I mean, I suspect he goes back and looks at how these were, these situations were dealt with in the past, and has he has the the richness of having uh, a number of clerks around him with much uh, you know longer legislative experience. Uh, and I think in a case like this, you know, if the speaker did not see anything and the clerks didn't see anything, and there's no you know video or audio proof, uh, the speaker is in a hard position. Uh, I suspect probably his ruling will be that he he's unable to make a ruling because of lack of any sort of basis to, to make the decision and then try to make some kind of claim about the necessity of the members to, to raise their standard of behavior. You know, I, I'm concerned, as I'm sure you are, about about attitudes and about, like you say, the, the willingness or lack of willingness actually uh, to work together. I, I can remember Peter years ago talking with uh, Dom, my good friend Dominic Agostino when he was in the legislature. And, and Dominic, of course, was known for his bombast. I mean, he, he knew how to, to, to let it go, of course, then there. And he would attack, you know, as he was an opposition, of course. Uh, attacked the parties and was great at it. But he, I asked him, I said, do, do you guys really hate each other? He says, no, more often than not, we go out for a beer after. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a certain showmanship to what goes on in the legislature. Uh, I'm not so sure that that going for a beer after is going on anymore. I just seem that there seems to be uh, a real difference now in, in attitudes in Parliament Hill and in Queen's Park. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it always varies a bit. There's some parliamentarians, particularly ones that have been there for a while and, and don't actually see a way forward into cabinet, uh, who try to find new ways of working. And so I think of, you know, Michael Chong in the Conservative Party, uh, Kennedy Stewart in the NDP would have been another example, uh, you know, who begin to say, well, actually, you know, if, if, you don't, if you don't have the dream of being a cabinet minister or being loved by your party leader, you can actually uh, work quite effectively with members in the opposition in terms of trying to get certain private members' bills through or changing the rules of the legislature to, to create more space for, for members of parliament. So, uh, you know, you still sometimes see that, but I think you're right that uh, mostly uh, the members of, of parliament re- become very regimented into their teams, and I think the manner in which we cover politics maybe also increases that as uh, it becomes so much more tied around specific leaders, and so the role of parliamentarians is diminished in the in the way of thinking about well, could you have a career that wasn't simply just being, you know, the yes person for the leader uh, becomes harder to sustain. With uh, the, the death of John McCain down in the States, of course, a, a couple of months ago, I guess now, uh, they, they characterized him, and I've heard this with some other folks that have been around for the longest time, as uh, somebody that would reach across the aisle, that was, you know, was bipartisan when it came to key issues and had to do that. Uh, but to your point, we don't see a whole lot of that anymore, do we? No, I mean, obviously, the American system is a different one. I mean, it's it's based on this idea that you, you don't want the kind of a firm division into government and, and opposition, right? You have the executive power and the president, and the legislature is meant to, to act separately from it. Whereas in our system, you actually do want a kind of strong government versus opposition dynamic, because uh, the belief is that, you know, a strong opposition will shed light on things that the government's doing and allow us to make decisions about as citizens, you know, to make judgments about whether... Uh, we agree or not with what the government's doing. But, you know, having said that, I mean, there's ways in which that can be done, uh, you know, better or not as well. And to get back to your kind of your your story about Dominic Agostino, I mean, certainly I've heard people complain about specifically the, the showmanship and the, the showboating in the, the House and then the fact that they're friends afterwards and it kind of makes them feel like the whole thing is a bit of a phony show. So, I mean, there, there's that aspect too where maybe we could do with less showboating 
and a bit more of kind of concrete uh, vision and uh, making it clear about how the government and the opposition disagree on the kind of fundamental principles rather than about trying to blow up some kind of scandal or, or issue of the day. But isn't that because, for better or worse, we, we live in the age of the soundbite? I mean, they, everybody wants that 10-second clip that's going to be played on the radio or on the tele- television news that evening? I suppose, although, I mean, you might look at what the NDP is doing as the opposition and, and say that every day they're kind of coming up with some kind of new thing that they claim is a, the greatest outrage ever. And that, that probably doesn't serve them very well as compared to beginning to develop a set of ideas about how the government falls short. Uh, you know, to say, well, maybe they're bad managers because they you know, they cancel uh, cap and trade and it's going to cost us $4 billion over three years or, you know, they make other decisions. So there may be a way, too, though, that parties... Uh, fall into that idea that you want the clip that day. But uh, I think especially for oppositions who have to try and craft an alternative idea about what the province should be, uh, you lose uh, the opportunity to define the set of values that set you apart. How do you re-establish decorum? I, I mean, because I've always used, I'm, I'm a political, uh, you know, not just uh, like a lot of other folks that are listening to this show. I mean, I even watch Question Period from the British Parliament, uh, you know, because I, I, I find it instructive. Uh, they have a different attitude. That's not to say there aren't some catcalls, et cetera, but they seem to have a lot more respect for each other uh, as, as people are speaking. We seem to have lost that on this side of the ocean. Yeah, I mean, certainly the British House of Commons is a much bigger body, and so there's a lot of people there who know they're never going to get a sniff of power. And so I think it, it produces a slightly different relationship between the backbench and the ministers. The backbenchers are less keen to be there as clapping seals. Uh, and so I think that takes the temperature down a, a certain degree. I mean, I think, you know, decorum probably comes from two things. One is to say, well, uh, if you actually want this place to function, uh, you can't have it always at that high point of partisanship. And so you, you, you have the sort of older heads and the calmer heads prevailing over time. I think the other thing is the shaming of the public. Uh, to the extent that people, you know, come back from question period and say, I can't believe my students saw that, <laughs> like <laughs> kindergarten, uh, you know, that doesn't do a lot. But, I mean, if, if regularly we ask questions, you know, as in this case, I mean, it seems like uh, there's a lot of important decisions being made at Queen's Park these days. Uh, you know, why are uh, both our opposition and government, uh, you know, members uh, spending their time arguing about whether it was a tap or a shove? Uh, there's a way we might also ask them to to improve their behavior so that we can actually pay attention to, you know, what happened at Queen's Park yesterday in terms of the government's plans and achievements. So, and to that point, instead of pointing the finger at the at the uh, speaker and simply saying, well, you should have controlled this, uh, I, I think the onus is really on the party leaders, isn't it, to, to, to establish that decorum and just say, look, at, we're going to do this in a professional manner? Yeah, I think that certainly uh, the party leaders, uh, also the House leaders, whips, uh, you know, there's a, a number of senior members who I think really demonstrate what it takes to, to, to play that role. I think in this case where you have a premier of the province who has, you know, absolutely uh, no experience in a parliamentary system, uh, you know, whose knowledge of government is his time as a, a member of a city council, uh, you do have a problem of, uh, of leadership on the government side. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously Andrea Horvath is also someone who can get hot. And in this case, I think that also played in uh, it's kind of again I, I you know reading uh, the daily uh, responses of the NDP to what the government is doing uh, the language of outrage uh, and despicable and uh, you know really hot adjectives seem to be uh, present and I don't think that's helping in terms of uh, the behavior of the opposition as well does this go away now I mean I I, I agree with you I don't think a whole lot's going to come of this I don't think the speaker can rule on anything right now except to say hey look at everybody let's be a little more mature uh, but but does this does this deepen the divide, or is it going to be a, a teaching moment for everyone? Uh, well, it'll probably deepen the divide for a bit longer. 
I mean, I think maybe in another year things will calm down a little. Uh, I mean, I think certainly the Conservatives see this as an opportunity to try and paint uh, Horvath as, you know, angry Andrea. And uh, so I could see them wanting to, you know, rather than using this as a time to say, okay, let's just bring it down a notch and, and improve uh, the, 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 the manner of acting in the legislature. I think they see it more as an opportunity to try and frame Andrea Horvath as someone who's, uh, you know, not premier material. Was it contrived? Uh, well, you know, having not seen it, I don't know if it was contrived or not, but, uh, you know, presumably when you're the leader of the opposition, you nevertheless have to uh, keep your hands to yourself, right? So, you know, whatever the degree of it was, uh, just with like the Ruth Ellen Brasso case, right, there's, uh, uh, you can't be uh, putting your hands on members of the other party. And uh, I think, you know, it wasn't, you know, maybe it was somewhat contrived, but uh, nevertheless, you know, the, the line was crossed that should not be crossed in our parliament. Peter, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for this today. You're welcome. Good talking with you again. Peter Grape, of course, uh, from McMaster University. Uh, by the way, we should mention that uh, we did reach out to uh, both of the participants in uh, the brawl yesterday, such as it was. Uh, Donna Skelly apparently is unavailable all day today, and uh, we reached out to the NDP, and uh, I knew Horvath apparently was not available either, uh, which is probably not surprising. Maybe I'm sure this, their advisors probably told both of them, look, just stay away from the microphones for a couple of days. Or they're reveling in it. I guess you never really know how they're going to respond to this, do you? The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.